Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Fraser McLeod, who is one of the founders of Nexus Search. Nexus Search specialised in executive search across the automotive and consumer goods industries. Fraser started the business in 2020 with three other business partners, Max, Johnny and Stanley, who all met one another at their previous company, Chapman Black, where they had all successfully climbed the ranks before the company went into administration. Nexus Search are now at 16 people uh, in the company, but due to sort of continued success over the last 18 months, they have big plans to continue to grow the business and take it even further over the next few years. Fraser, welcome to the pod, mate. Uh, Thank you for having me. (laughs) Looking forward to it. So where we always like to start is the million pound question. So I I would love to know what comes up for you when I ask you, like in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant in today's market? So I think obviously there is, you know, the, the typical characteristic of being the hardest working in the room, you know, and I think everyone knows that in recruitment, you know, you have to put the effort in. Um, it doesn't come to you without putting them hours in. Um, but for me, what I've noticed recently since working more in Nexus Search is accountability and that self-awareness. You have to be able to have the ability to be able to know at any, any one time where you're at against your performance and be able to then self-reflect on that and you know work out what do I need to be doing now to make myself improve over the course of the next day, this afternoon, the next week. That continuous analysis of your performance is what I think really helps the modern day recruiter. I love that. So like self-awareness, discipline, just yeah, knowing what you need to prioritize and focus on. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay, great. So what I guess just just to frame this up for people then, what what I'm really excited to go over with you is we'll we'll absolutely focus on last two years, you being a business owner, we're going to unpack that journey. But I think before that, what we're going to talk about and what I'm interested to find out from you is one, this Chapman Black journey, like how you went from, yeah, where you was to uh, by the time you left, obviously AD, obviously I'm sure a lot of people would have wanted to get to that position. So I want to find out from you what you did differently, how you got there. And then also, as we just said, before we started, right, I think, yeah, people were definitely interested on like, okay, well, as an employee at Chapman Black, when the administration went through, like what what that experience was actually like. So if we'll talk about that and then we'll, we'll go into, yeah, then that transition of the different mindset of being a business owner, right? And not just having to worry about your number, getting the best out of your team. So let's just, I guess, just wind it back a bit then. So talk to me about how uh, how did you how did you end up in recruitment? So I can see you was in sales and then you got into recruitment. How did you get sold the recruitment dream? Yeah, so uh, my first ever job was actually in IT. I was an IT consultant uh, coming <laughs> out of school, which when you think about it, is the complete opposite of my profile. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, done, done a, just a sales role. And um, to be honest, I just fell into recruitment probably like everyone else. I didn't really know too much about it, very naive to it. Um, but, you know, I just had an obsession about working in the city, you know, putting a suit on. You know, I was always going to be successful. And yeah, I, I spoke to a Where did that come day. from though? Where that, what is that from? What Did you have people in your family that you was inspired? Was you, did you not have that much? So you was like, I'm going, I need to make it like, where did that come from? Yeah, I, you know, my parents are not successful, you know, in terms of, you know, finances, etc. I've never had that. But I think it was just always throughout school. I was always that person that always loved business, you know, always was okay. obsessed about, you know, on, being an entrepreneur, trying to make something of myself. And I think it just drove me to to looking for that job that could give me that as soon as possible. Is it a quite a common thing for people growing up in Essex to think, right, I'm going to be in London one day wearing a fancy suit? Is that a thing? Yeah, I think it is quite <laughs> common to be fair. And that's why most of the recruitment industry is fielded people from Essex now. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, if I think when I was growing up, I, did, I don't know, you, like sometimes if you were to go, like obviously I'm from Eastbourne, so like the South Coast. Yeah. So I don't know, you don't feel like London city suits as much, but I just feel like whenever I've interviewed people from Essex, it's like, yeah, I knew I'd, <laughs> I wanted to go to London, have a suit or that. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it, um, it definitely is a common trait. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So didn't know much, didn't know much about it. Um, talk to me about, talk to me about, I don't know, the first like year or so then, cause that, that's typically like yeah. what, sort of the, the most difficult period. Like how, how was that? How would you describe that journey for you? 
Yeah, so obviously, as I said, I fell into recruitment. Um, I remember on my kind of first day when I was there, all I was doing was, I was only 19 at the time, and all I was doing was just asking everyone, you know, who, who's the best in here? You know, who's the really? one that's making the most? Yeah, I was just so obsessed about just trying to work out who was the one that was, was doing the best. You know, I, that mm. was always my obsession. And um, it, all, the conversation just steered to um, a gentleman that has been on here before, which was Ross Fraser. And it was just consistently directed to Ross. It turned out that Ross was actually going to be my manager. So I was, uh, I'm not going to I haven't told him this, but obviously I was super buzzing at the time. Um, <laughs> Love that. <laughs> but yeah, like, and open, it was just quite a natural job for me. Um, I've always been good at, co- I've always been confident. I've always been good at speaking to people. I um, you know, building relationships has never been something that I've struggled with. So suddenly mm. I found this job that, you know, you could do really well in by communicating and building relationships. So I thought that it just mm. like hit the jackpot for me. What? Where did that, where did that, I'm just like, not, not everyone would walk into an office and go, right, who, how can I learn from the best, like, why did you think to do that? That is, because that isn't common. Yeah, I suppose like I did have a slight, a slight, I suppose people probably did meet me back then would have seen that I, as a 19 year old, probably did have a slight arrogance around me. You know, I just always, yeah, I did have that little bit around me, um, which I've had to grow out of as I've, you know, moved up my recruitment career. But yeah, I just was, it was just for me. I've always wanted to be the best. Everything I've done when I played rugby when I was young, you know, I've always pushed myself to try to make sure that I'm the best at everything I can do. And I think when I walked into that job that day, it was, you know, I was so excited. I see all these people, all these, all these young people, you know, on the phone selling. And it was just, for me, it was just really eye-opening. And I just wanted to know how do I become the best in this business? And from there, you know, I just, Ross was only, was only a young lad at the time. And my obsession become being the youngest top bidder. That's all I cared about when really? I first Really? That's all, that you, all you cared about? Yeah. Yeah. In that first year, like, I, I, I did hit the ground running. I was pretty successful in terms of, you know, understanding the job, getting my head around it. And the goal for me was just how do I become the youngest top biller in this business? And that's all I was kind of obsessed over for the next few years. What did, what did you find out from Ross then? So if everyone's going, you, like, Ross is the guy that you want to learn from, blah, blah, blah. What, what, did, you, what did you take from him, which you probably, probably still pass on now? Or like, what were the main things you remember that you took from him? I think probably the, the biggest learning was that, um, and it was it, it was him and also the other top billers in the office. What I kind of took from them was they didn't always have the best call times in the office. You know, they weren't the ones that were doing the most yeah. calls. They weren't the ones who were doing the highest call times. What they were doing differently was when they were on the phone and you listen to them on the phone, the information that they took off that call was so much more than anyone else in the office. You know, they would have mm. a 30 minute call in comparison to a one hour call and they would take so much more information. They would ask so much better questions and, you know, you could, they would come off the call and, you know, I'd ask so many questions of like, how was that call? What did you get out of that? And it was the information that, that Ross and the other lads in the office saw, that the women in the office that were doing well, the amount of information they got was just so much more impressive than the rest of the office. That's interesting. So do you think that was just the questions or or like just the, the way they were going about making, like getting better, opening people up, building relationships? Like, I don't know. Why do you think they was able to get more information? I think they like before they go they went into any call they like they understood what they were going into that call for. You know, that's one thing that I probably did take from Ross is that every call he went into, he always knew what he was trying to get out of that. And yeah. he would focus so much of his questioning and his positioning of the call to get what he needed out of that and he, you know, really installed that into me, I would say. That's probably my biggest learning from Ross. Yeah, no, I love that. We, yeah, the work, bef- the work starts before the call, right? And I think we did a session this recently and that was one of the, the tips. And I think, because especially right now when everyone's so busy, those are the types of things that you could get complacent with. But as you just said, if every single call you go into knowing like what, what you, what you want to get out of that, the point of the call or that, you're just going to have a better chance of ha- making the most out of that call. Uh, I th- yeah, I think that's, that's a great insight. Yeah, I say that to my consultants on a daily basis is, you know, every single call, we need to understand what we're trying to get out of that call. You know, we got to work mm. out what is this call? What information do I need from this call to take me to the next call? And then we've got to mm. make sure that throughout that call, we've got to position ourselves to get that information. Yeah, no, I love that. So how, how long did it take you? Did you achieve the Young Top Biller Award, mate? Yeah, of course. <laughs> hey, how, how long did it take then? Talk to me. Um, I, won, I won Top Biller when I was 21. So it took me about 18 months to two years. So I won it when I was 21. Was this per? Were you perm or contract or both? I've only been a perm biller. I've only been in perm, um, and I've done automotive recruitment. Yeah, and what? So what? So to and that was the top biller throughout the what? Your team, the whole office. 
it's over like a six month period so they do it over a six month period you know to uh, you've got to be the top biller i had a really hot you know the other the other person in our team who was also hired similar time to me callum yeah um you know it was like me and him just always fighting for it he was same age as me and we just really? kind of yeah it was it was we pushed a, each other yeah it was actually really nice to be fair like we just had a really healthy competition we knew that yeah. we were at the time i would say we were the two up-and-coming consultants in the business we were yeah, yeah, pushing yeah. ourselves to do things differently and we just created a really healthy competition that enabled me to push for that top biller yeah love that well so it was on a it was on a six-month window so that you use so they would have a top biller for in the last six months rather than like the whole year yeah, so you would have it over six months, and then um, right. whoever won that, you got you got like you got a Rolex, basically. Classic. Yeah, the classic recruitment. Love that. Incentive. That's decent, though. So the tw- twenty-one, two years in, Rolex must have been buzzing. Yeah, I was I was proper buzzing. And then they, uh, <laughs> Love that. I was very I was very happy. I was very happy. Yeah. So so what numbers did you have to hit then to get the top biller in that six month window? Do you remember roughly? At that time, it probably would have been about probably was around between two hundred to two fifty. I'd have yeah. said. So it would have had me on track to be like a yeah yeah. yeah. Half so a in six below. months, that's what you yeah yeah yeah. It would have been around that. All right. So a co- couple of things that I want to un- unpack here, right? So people really interested to find out. Okay, Fraser. So you, you got you got there in that period, and obviously you, you obviously stayed at Chapman Black for for a lengthy period of time. But like, what what did you maybe do? Like, people want to know. Okay, so if I'm right now, if I, if I'm billing, I don't know, 150 grand in a year, let's say. Um, but I'm listening to this and I'm learning from people like you and you're doing double that. I want to know, like, what is Fraser doing differently, basically? Or what what did you what do you feel like you really doubled down on or did differently that made you go from, I don't know, maybe doing 100 grand in six months to 250 grand? Was there any key things that come up for you that you feel like you got really good at to hit those sorts of numbers? Yeah, so I think what I did was I always made sure that I was surrounded by the best people in the office. That was just like a number one for me. So you intentionally made sure you was around positive people. You wanted to get inspired. Yeah. You find in recruitment companies, there's always like a, the little groups of generally the people <laughs> that do well at recruitment and yeah. they're always in a little group and they're not too accepting of the ones that are not. But I yeah. just, I don't think I could to try and get myself in there. I just understood what they were doing. I think that was my immediate, the difference to me and the other people in the business that weren't, that were at the same level as me. You know, in terms of recruitment, I think on my mind, I suppose it was my mindset, really. I think if I was to go back to anything, it'd be my mindset. I was so target driven. I'm always setting goals. I was always thinking about what's next for me, you know, constantly what's next. As soon as I won that top biller award for the six months, you know, I, I didn't say to myself, great, I'm going to go and enjoy this Rolex on my wrist. I said to myself, there ain't many people in this business that have back to backed it. Not many people have went and won it again, you know, and my from the day that I won that top bill award, I went straight back to my desk, and it was how do I go and win it again now and win it over the court, and and that was that was my mindset, and that was exactly what I did, and I just tried to always go that extra mile with everything I did basically in the office, really. Yeah, how did you sell to like really high standards? Talk to me about how did you set goals? I know this sound, may sound really basic, right? But I think this is also things that people like to hear. So when you say you was really goal driven, everyone could say, yeah, I had targets. But like, did you have a monthly target and you broke it down on a weekly basis? Because as you said, one of your first things at the beginning of this was like, being like having that self-analysis, knowing we need to prioritize. So I'm assuming that's something that you've done in your career. But how did you set goals that helped you know what you need to be prioritizing where you're at which obviously helped you yeah so obviously i set the big goal you know which is what you want to get out of the next six months you know whether that's to win top biller and then it was always i would always then work it back to kind of what the 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 money i would need to bill is to make that and then you try and break that down in exec search it's a little bit different in that you know your average placement is 40 to 50k so realistically you only need to be pulling you only need to be doing five or six placements over you know six months you know, maybe a little bit more to really be able to achieve that. So then it's just, okay, so what's the the process? I'm very big on like operating model and just trying to work out what is that process that you have to be doing on a weekly basis consistently, you know, to get the absolute minimum out of your day. And that's what I used to try to do a lot. And I think that I was very systematic in my approach. I would look at doing the same things every day without foul and I would never leave the office without doing them. And I think that's how I then been able to, I was able to then build a consistent like billing track record. Yeah. Pr- yeah. Yeah. Okay. Talk to, okay. On that then people, people would want me to know, okay, what is, what is your day plan then? What did it, what, what, how did that work? If you had like, if you were to think then when you, when you got that f- top biller for the first time, what did your day look like? Walk us through it. 
This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincheri, the recruitment operating system for your front, middle, and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincheri was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a Vincheri customer. And look, who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering Vincheri as your operating system partner than their customers themselves. Here's what James had to say. We implemented Vincheri right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we used was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of Vincheri as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to Vincheri over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly, having used Bullhorn and another product, I can say that Vincheri is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to... Yeah, it's a whole operating system, not just a CRM, is it? Is this the whole point? Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And they're brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. For me, I was always, I had like five or six accounts or five or six clients that were always my target clients. So I always knew at any one time, who who do I see myself having a long-term partnership with? Who am I already through the door with? Who likes me? Who's giving me a buy-in? And every single day, I would always be contacting at least three or four people inside them businesses it doesn't matter what you know where they are i just want to constantly be making sure that i'm always making inroads into them five or six key accounts that was always like my first few hours of every day what would be your reason for calling though like if you're doing that every day so what i would i would just constantly gem nine out of ten times i've generally had a relationship to somewhere in that account i've maybe done a place okay. there i've got some relationships so i'll just be going into every single account with just trying to have a conversation with them around you know so i had one, I had one, one account was my biggest account it was in it was in italy and uh, italian automotive supplier and um you know i just i would constantly be calling all people all over the business and just talking to them about the placements that i've already done you know who i am today what I'm looking to do in their business. These are the candidates I've got in my network. And I just constantly be trying to build a relationship there to see if I can grow them accounts. That's what I did. I did that successfully with that, you know, with my my major account at the time. So you'd always do that at the beginning of the day or uh, you'd always do that every day. What, What else would you then do? Yeah, I think with exec search, you're constantly you're constantly doing in that 360 model in that every search you get is kind of different. So there is not that opportunity to recycle your shortlist as much as other markets. So you're constantly having to spend time, you know, doing new searches on LinkedIn, trying to generate new candidates that specify to the retained search you're working on at that time. So I'd be, I'd be spending a lot of time doing a, doing a lot of delivery. I think at the early days of, of Chapman Black, they hadn't got that delivery and, and sales consultant role right they didn't have that process so it was very like you're a 360 consultant go and do your job you know win candidates do delivery but in exec search it's a different operating model but they didn't have that at the time so i was doing a lot of delivery and then in the evenings you know i'm just constantly most of my evenings was either again rebuilding my searches rebuilding my bd list or i was you know sending speculative candidates out to the market to then allow me to go into my next day with some opportunity to bd yeah. How would you describe executive search? Why is it, are you, do, are you judging it on? Because I think we spoke about this, didn't we? Like what, yeah. how would you, so, I mean, what I took, what I would maybe take is that you, like, are you, like, obviously your average deal size was like 40, 50 grand. That, that's pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty big. So was you doing more senior, like executive search was that because it was more senior? Was it always retained? How would you describe executive search? Yeah. So it's executive and leadership search. I, I know that obviously I think we do do leadership placements and, um, which is more the senior okay. manager placements. We're not, we're not going to turn them down. What I've noticed recently since being next to search and being back into it and doing it on a daily basis is it's just, it's just slightly, it's very relationship driven. You know, you're yeah. not going to get, the, you're not going to get given a retained search for a vice president or, you know, a, a director if you don't have you don't you can't build relationships and you can't really position yourself as to why they should choose you over one of the bigger players on in the market and then it's just a lot it is a lot of connecting the dots really because it's because there is no candidates that you can really recycle you know you've got to take one call to the other you're not just constantly recycling you know a profile across the market and just you know knowing you're going to win a role off of that you have to constantly yeah. do a new bd into new decision makers 
yeah, that's probably how I would describe it. A little bit, just in obviously, it's still recruitment, but that's probably the differences. So, what what I just want to what I just want to hear from you then. So, again, just still focusing on this sort of early part of your career. So, what I'd, I'd I'm really interested to know is like one of the common sort of I don't know if you've seen this now. I don't know if you saw this in your when you was a manager at Chapman Black or now and you're growing the business. But like when I've sort of interviewed or spoken to recruiters who are really early on in their journey, one of the biggest thing that holds them back is just this feeling of, I don't want to say imposter syndrome, but like, for example, let me give you context. So if I was in your shoes, maybe at the early stage, and I was doing these senior placements, I was calling people that were triple my age, way more experienced than me. Like I could maybe really doubt myself and think, fucking hell, who am I to be talking to this guy around his leadership position, VP, all that. I don't know if you see this now. So like, obviously you, quite quickly, you got, you were obviously making deals, you're building relationships, but why, like, did you not ever think like, fucking hell, I'm this like Essex lad, 20 year old, just calling these people in Italy, vice presidents and that, who the fuck do they think I am? Do you know what I mean? Uh, Did you not ever have that? Did you have to deal with that? I still get it today, to be fair. You know, like I still really. Like, so you you I did don't have think that. You ever lose that? Yeah, I don't yeah. think you. I don't think you ever lose that. There's always that sense of, you know, I am only in my twenties. You know, I'm not yeah. coming with some. I've not got some crazy degree behind me. You know. How do you overcome that then, or not let that like block you? Not let that block your performance or hold you back? Yeah, I think. Um, to I say it to my to to my consultants today is I think like I say to them if you can. If you can have a candidate call, if you can speak to a candidate, you know, if I, if I, what I say to them is if I put a vice president candidate in front of you and I asked you to qualify them as a candidate, you would have no issues with it. You would take the call. You would have a very good call. You'd come away with really good information. You'd build a really good credibility because you're looking at them as a candidate. There's absolutely no difference if you approach them as a decision maker. They're still the exact same person. All you have to do is rather than asking them questions around why they want a new job, you've just got to make yourself sound relevant as to why you are in, why they are looking. Like, what are you looking for in your new hiring strategy? And you just have to be confident that you can offer a solution to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just interesting because I, I know a lot of people struggle with that. So clearly a few yeah, people, like you've had to help people with that, right? Especially if yeah, you're definitely. dealing with, like you said, more senior people, you've got, it's big deal values, right? Like not everyone's doing 40, 50 grand deals. And as as I said, like 21 year old Fraser, he's got a Rolex on his hand, he's, he might have a bit more confidence then calling people. Yeah. But still, it's like, who, who must they think I am? Like, do you know what I mean? It's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a common theme, I think, in recruitment. I think, you know, that probably the top billers are the ones that are able to navigate that feeling well, you know, and are the ones that can get past that. For me, it's, I was just one of them people where I didn't overthink things. I don't overthink the recruitment process. I don't look at recruitment. And uh, it's not rocket science recruitment. You know, there's, uh, if you go in it, if you go in it head first and you just approach it every day the, the, the right way, you know, it doesn't matter who you're speaking to, you're going to get success out of it. So the next part I just wanted to unpack then, and then we'll sort of move this on a bit, is... Cause I'm always in, cause this has come up a few times. So you had that big, I know you said that you came back in and was like, right, I want to do it back to back. Right. But did you lose motivation? Did you lose any motivation? Cause like that, that's what I find interesting because a lot of people listen to this. I do feel like the phrase, the phrase might, the phrase might change because top biller, I don't know. It's just corporate like recruitment breath in it. It's like, I'm going to be the top. Yeah, biller. Like, yeah, I don't know. I feel, yeah. I feel like the, the phrase needs to change, but like if a lot of people listen to this, probably want to be the top performer, whatever you want to call it, right? But a lot of people I've spoken to, like it's more easier to get that because you've got the motivation, someone else has got it, whatever. And then you get that and it's like, fuck, now I need to keep it or I need to maintain it. Did you find your motivation dipped at all? Yeah, yeah. Like for me, for me, getting up, going up the ladder to become the best performer in the business and, you know, to be seen as that wasn't the hardest part. You know, that for me was always something I could achieve because I just had to keep looking at people above me, working as hard exactly. as them, I get there. Suddenly when you're there and it's like... You've got people coming so, after you, you've got Fraser 20-year-olds, yeah. other 20-year-olds after you as well. How do you maintain it then? To be fair, there probably was a period where I didn't and that probably, opening that probably was down to my mindset, you know, did I let it go to my head a little bit? Yeah, maybe. It probably was a weight, you know, I, I, I did have some good mentors, the, the MD of Chat and Black Gita, like, you know, there was a few times where she'd have to pull me in a room and just give me a bit of a wake up call, you know, like, let's, let's get back into it. And that's all it that's all it took for me was just someone to say to me, come on, get back in the game, Fraser, and then I'd be back um, on it again. Yeah, it was, 
the definitely when I was at the top was the hardest. For people listening to right now, then, so if you if I'm there, what did you have to tap into? Did you have to tap into more of like right? Okay, so I'm not chasing me being this anymore. It's like more about what I can. I don't know. What did you have to? You have to must have had to work out something that really got you going. I think what I had to do was I had to change. My, I had to understand when I, by the time I got to the top of when you was in the business, I was like, you have to work out what your new motivations are. Your motivations change constantly. And I had to work out to myself, what was them? Because, you know, earning money, the best performer, I've achieved them now. Like, where, where, what is it that what really now, yeah. drives me? What's getting me up in the morning now? And I think what I did was I, look, I worked out that actually, what was the really driving motivation for me was, you know, have to, not allowing myself to now fail, you know, and I had to get into that. I had to really understand that that's my new motivation. And then I had to go and find the next, you know, the next step for me in my recruitment career off the back of that, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get what you mean. So but it was more about being consistent, like, okay. Yeah, it was just like, like, you know, that was what was motivating me, was to stay at the top. Um, I had to do things, you know, continue speaking to the same candidates, decision makers, making sure that I'd stay disciplined. You know, discipline for me has always been a big thing. You know, there's areas that I have an element of me which is which could be could you know go a bit on the, go a bit on the other side. You know, I can. I've I've got that, and I just need to constantly tell myself, you know, be disciplined, maintain your right standards, Fraser. Talk to me about, so before we before we start talking about the end of the Chapman Black journey, like talk to me about, and I'm sure you've obviously heard this before, right? But obviously re- really challenging period also can be Fraser just worrying about his own performance, his own number to then being responsible for yourself, but also other people. What were some of the, the biggest challenges that you had to work through as, a, as, a, as you become a leader, a practice manager and associate director that you maybe had to learn the hard way or go, right, Fraser, I need to sort of maybe change my approach here, what what were some of the difficulties when you went into more of a leadership building manager role? I think the, the number one thing is, is you know, accepting that you're no longer going to be the top performer. You know, I had to accept that. Yeah, it's no, it's no longer about you. It's not just about you. Yeah, literally. Yeah, I know. And I know that sounds like it's... it's no, that's come up before. It's come, it's, come, it's come up before. I just had to accept that, you know, that no longer it is about you. No longer, you know, you have to take away that that selfish approach that I think you do need to become, a, you know, a top performer. You have to you have to leave that and you have to come into the office with a new, new perspective now. And it's, you know, my job is to now turn people into top performers. So rather than keeping that information in my head, I need to get that information. I need to articulate that to people and people need to start understanding and, and learning from that. That for me was, was my was the biggest learning curve. I'm all, I feel like I was always a natural leader. People enjoy being around me. People do, you know, they, people do get inspired by my communication, how I act. I felt like I had that presence in Chat Black, but it was, for me, it was that transition of knowing that I'm not going to be the, the, the guy anymore that everyone looks up to. to an, or not everyone looks up to from a billion perspective. Yeah, I get him in. What what advice would you give to someone that's maybe going for that transition at the moment that was like a biller but wanted to get into like a billing manager role? What what advice would you give them to like get, start getting more out of their team, become better leaders? I'd say that for me, you know, there's there's nothing more that would fulfil me than seeing your team and seeing people become superstars in a business and it doesn't matter how much enjoyment you might get from you know winning a Rolex from being a, a top biller you know that that will the enjoyment you get out of that does not even compare to seeing someone walk into an office that has no clue what they're walking into you know and you are taking them on a journey to go and be really successful and when you do see that happen for me that is the, the best enjoyment you can get within recruitment so I would say you know just go for it you know let go of that selfishness and see that you can get much more enjoyment out of being a manager so so jan 2020 then obviously before let, let's we'll get into the, the we'll get into the nexus uh, journey now but before we do then let, let's talk about what was fraser's experience of this administration as i was saying obviously before i when i was preparing for this i did some googling and i saw some like funny tweets like yeah, oh, yeah. people heard <laughs> Chapman Black, people fighting in the office, people stealing TVs, computers, all of this. Like, what was it as an employee of that business? Like, did you know it was going to happen? What was the what was the vibe like? Where was your mind at? Like, because, yeah, you built out your, a successful recruitment career here, seven years. That's, that's obviously still going to be tough to, yeah, I guess. Walk, like, what was your experience? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning 
source breaker. And all I wanted to tell you about today is one of their recent really useful and valuable articles. So a lot of you right now are probably thinking, how can I tap into more talent pools? How can I get more relevant candidates showing up in my searches, whether that's on your CRM, LinkedIn, wherever it may be? Well, this is Sourcebreaker's world. So what they've recently done is published an article called The Power of Search, Five Ways You Can Improve Your Candidate Pool. So in this really short article, you will walk away with five practical ways that you can uncover and find talent that you're looking for that maybe might not show up if you're just using the the current ways of searching and what you're doing. I mean, what they've found from all of the surveys and data that they can look at is like 48% of searches typically contain errors. So if you want practical ways that you can uncover talent that you may be missing, click the link in the show notes, read the power of search, uh, get those tips, walk away with them, start using them, and let us know how you get on with those five tips and if you find some more people. Enjoy. Yeah, so I'll just take. I'll take you through. I'll take you through that week too. We say, um, <laughs> which I know is uh, the the recruitment world's been wanting to hear something like this for a while. So I know it was big, big news. So I actually found out a few days before, and yeah, I basically I just I had a, I had a meeting with one of the founders. We were very close. You know, we'd built up a strong relationship over the past years. He had a lot of respect for me. Um, I think he just wanted to give me a, a heads up. So I, I found out. Um, I remember it was in a it was in a coffee shop underneath my flat at the time um, on a Saturday, and um, I just you know it was just a complete shock for me. I didn't see it coming. You know I run one of our most successful divisions. We were turning over like three million just my division. I just yeah yeah don't see. So just, just I, to I make could, it really simple for people, like what actually happened with had no longer money to like just explain like what actually yeah was the. Do you know what? Openly, we've never really been told. Okay, fair. Yeah, we've never really been told exactly what happened. Of course, they run out of money. You know, they yeah. didn't have enough money to to keep the business going. But I, I don't know exactly what happened. I think it's um, I think it probably was just a combination of the business had three or four bad months where we probably were you know losing quite a lot of money. The business had a lot of overheads at the time. Probably you know swallowed up a lot of the cash that was sitting in the bank. And then you know by the time they got through to the new year, I think it probably was just a, they probably got advised that this is just not gonna you're not gonna get out of this. Um, yeah. So, you so know, went into administration. Yeah, but when I found out that day, it was a bit of a shock. I remember going back up to my flat. I was in the lift, and I was just like, just so shocked. What's going on? Yeah, but it wasn't even my girlfriend at the time. Obviously, worked at Chatham Black, and yeah. um, I remember going up in the lift, and I'm thinking, like, I've literally just got to go and tell. I've got to go and tell my girlfriend that she's unemployed. <laughs> and like, you know, so it wasn't even. Like, I couldn't even really accept it as just myself. I've just got. I've got to go and tell my girlfriend now. I just hired my best mate who I knew really needed a job. I've now got to call oh, him and man. tell him he's unemployed. Like it was just a lot of emotions. And I remember going into the flat and I remember telling my girlfriend and uh, you know, openly, I just got, I got really upset actually for about a few hours. Like, I was really upset. Like I, it come over me a little bit. I was, and I'm not really like, an emotional person, and I, I, I was. And I think it was just a sense of it was a sense of that I did. I felt that like I was a part of that that let people down. You know, I was one of the associate directors. Um, I had a big presence in that office. You know, a lot of people looked up to me, and I felt that you know, as much as it had nothing to do with me, a part of me was just you had like, a responsibility. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, if a business goes into administration and you're one of the associate directors, then you know you've got to be accountable for that to an extent. And it was just a little bit like I had let down a lot of my friends in that office. People in that office weren't weren't my colleagues; they were close friends to me, and it was just a real, it was a real sad moment. You know, and to think that all of them years I I had worked in that business, and for it to be completely over not in your control yeah for it to go out like that was just a bit was a bit sad so you went into the office went into the office what was the, what was the vibe was people was people like fight what was the vibe yeah yeah well i think well, yeah i think what happened everyone basically they was meant to go on a ski trip there was meant to be a ski incentive the day before and ah. everyone was getting ready to go to the ski incentive and like no none of the founders were obviously in the office they were doing what they needed to do i was the only real person in the office that knew at the time so i, I saw my mates getting ready to go to a ski holiday i was like i can't oh. let that happen so i've had to run i've had to basically pull them in a meeting i just took it upon myself i didn't ask anyone i just pulled them in a meeting i said look you're not going on this ski incentive you know i'm not going to tell you why you know but you'll find out in the next day. So, and I, I remember like, everyone was like, really? Like everyone was just shouting at me. I was yeah, like, like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
and then yeah next day we just went into the office and it was um basically yeah like, i think everyone by then knew knew the situation and yeah, yeah the, the founder obviously let everyone know that the situation you know, he was very genuine about it you could tell that it, you know for him personally it was an extremely yeah he was very sad he didn't want that to be a situation and yeah the office just kind of went um it just went crazy to be fair i think a lot of people you know, I remember a lot of, well, a lot a lot of people, people were annoyed yeah, well, you got a lot of people owed commission, weren't they? So there was a lot of commission. Oh, okay, being owed. right. I didn't know that. Yeah, so no one got paid, you know. So we went into administration on the 20th of January. No, the last time we had been paid was before Christmas. Oh, fuck. So a lot of people were waiting for their January payday, which is an important paycheck, I'd say, out of the year. Yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? Long, yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably the most important paycheck, to be fair. And, um, you know, so everyone got told they weren't getting that, basically. All oh, right, so that that's why. Okay, so that's why there's obviously people saying people are robbing staff and like all that because they're yeah, running. obviously yeah, no one was getting their commission, no one was getting paid. So I think it all just kind of broke loose in the office. Not yeah, like not not lying us. Not you know, not. I think Twitter was just a bit just typical. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah no, yeah, of course, exaggerated. No, but, but obviously, obviously, yeah, 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 that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that, mate. Yeah, it's nice to see that that business was filled with some really good recruiters because oh, a lot of people have a lot of people have left now and you know have gone on to be directors and and um, started their, own, their own businesses. So you know, Chat and Black yeah. had a lot of good recruiters in that business. It's maybe it was a blessing for them people to go and push their careers on now. Yeah. So so you guys then obviously started Nexus Search. Like, was that was that already in the pipeline then? Yeah, it was in the pipeline. We we had agreed to do that in November. Um, so in November we had decided to already set up. We was planning to set up in August of um, 2021 that was our target that gave us a nine months to make sure that we had enough capital because um, we're self we, we invested our own money we wanted to make sure we had enough capital um i had a yeah, longer notice period so we was already in the plan like we already had a name for our business we had all that yeah. already set up so this obviously happening was just like a kickstart for us um it was probably the kickstart that we needed the benefit is what i'm assuming yeah obviously you could get started right away no notice periods obviously unfortunate thing is you haven't got that january paycheck we would have gone into the the pot but you obviously i'm assuming you didn't have any covenants so like you could just crack on yeah, exactly. So we didn't have any covenants, which was a massive help for us. I think probably anyone who set up a business would say that would be a, lo a lovely thing to have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So obviously we, we capitalised on that. Um, it was a good, it was a great opportunity for us. Now, we, now I look back at it, I think that it was just so perfect. And considering that COVID was two months away, uh, it's more. I look back at it, I think would we would we have actually set up? Because if we had waited till August yeah. of 2021 and COVID turned up in you March, you probably would have waited. You probably just waited and been like, or oh, hang tight, like yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't think me and you would be talking about Nexus Search right now if that was the case. Yeah. So it was probably it was a massive, you know, blessing in disguise for us to set to set up Nexus. So talk talk to me about so we'll talk about the last sort of um eight months or so, but like talk to me about the first year of Nexus then. Like what was was the sort of mindset like, right guys, let's let's just get cracking, let's use this as an opportunity, let's start speaking to our clients, get money in the bank, start doing deals. What what was the mindset going into that first year then? Yeah, yeah, I suppose it was um very much you know, let's go and, and just attack this, right? Let's go and really try yeah. and set up a business. Let's capitalise on the fact that we don't have this non-compete. What we did was we, we were very strategical in our approach, though. We didn't go in it like, we didn't just go crazy and just run into our old markets again. You know, we sat back and we said between the four of us, what did we like? What did we dislike about Chat and Black? You know, and what can we recreate? Nice. You know, what can we actually create from what we know? And I think that's allowed us to really be able to build a, some values and a vision of what we wanted to get out of the next, you know, the first three, four years of Nexus Search. And we've really been disciplined around creating creating that vision, which I think helped us in that first 12 months. Yeah. Where did you get, why, why did you do that? Like, I understand why, but like, where, where did that come from? Like, why did you, because you could have quite easily been like, right, fucking hell, like this has happened now. Let's just go get smash some deals in. Why did you guys stay disciplined on that? And why was that important? Because I think we, all four of us, shared a very similar value in that we we loved Chapman Black and it was a great business to work in. But there was definitely some elements of the company that you know we were not we were not so fond of. You know, we we saw that it was a company of a hundred consultants. You know, with twenty twenty five people making most of the money. And I know that happens a lot in most companies. And we were just really passionate about trying to recreate that. You know, we didn't want to create a recruitment company where you know there's not people generating revenue. There's not people absolutely top performers and um that was our focus going into it It was okay then so what do we need to do now to to turn nexus search into the most to a higher performing recruitment company without you know which is just if it has to be 20 people 
if we just find 20 people and 20 people are going to take our business to where it needs to go, then we'll just find 20 people. Let's work on trying to create them values. Yeah, no, I love that. So, so a few things here then. So what would you say have been like, obviously you started this with three other guys that were at Chapman Black as well. Talk to me about firstly, what have been some of the main positives that you've experienced so far as all you guys starting this journey together? Because obviously I'll speak to a lot of people that start on their own, start with just two people. Like what would you say have been the main positives of you guys starting it together as, as four of you as, as a business? Probably the, the biggest positive is just like where we're like, we're like a little team. You know, we're not, we're like a little team. We've just, we've got a real team player mentality between the four of us. We all bring something different. We're all different people. You know, we're not carbon copies of each other. We're all different people. We have different perceptions on recruitment, how it should be done. Um, and we all just bring something different to the table. And I think that's really enabled us to constantly have new ideas and constantly be able to just choose what is the best idea on the table. And none of us have gone into it with an ego. You know, none of us have gone into it saying, oh, you know, I've built more than you here or I'm better than you here. We've gone into it as a complete, um, you know, we are equals. We're running this business together and we all want to get the best out of it. And I think that's probably been and, and obviously, you know, naturally, there's four views. You can split tasks the stuff that's time consuming between four of you, you can split that up well. And as a hats off to anyone who set up a recruitment company on their own, because, you know, I don't think, you know, like it's, it's so difficult with the amount of business related tasks outside of recruitment you've got to do. And I think with four of us, you just have a luxury a little bit of being able to spread that. And then what have been some of the challenges then? Like, has it, has it been difficult for all of you? I know you, like, you've all been, like you said, you're a proper team, but what has it been quite difficult sometimes for all of you to be aligned with where things are going or the decision? Like, what have been some of the challenges? Um, I think we've never, we've never not been aligned with where the business needs to go. I think that's something that's probably surprised all of us, actually, in that we've all just always understood where the business needs to go. We've never really had a conflict. There's never been an argument around what we need to be doing. I'd probably say the, the, the biggest difficulty is that there is four people in a room and it's four different personalities i think if you went into business with one person you have to understand that one person's personality you have to you know manage each other's personalities we've got four people in the room so it's managing each each person's personality you know in a different way and each person's expectations has to be managed correctly i think that's probably what we've had to juggle that's that's the hardest thing we've had to juggle i'd say what surprised you so far then? Obviously, you were thinking about start, starting your recruitment business in November, but obviously you got chucked into it because of, yeah, circumstances that weren't planned. But what, what surprised you on this journey so far then as Fraser, the recruitment business owner now, which is different to being a director in, a, in someone else's company? What surprised me? I think one of the things that's probably surprised us the most, which is what it shouldn't have, but when we first went into it, we, we seeked advice from a business consultant. So we got a business consultant in. He wasn't to do with recruitment, but he trained us at Chat and Black and we really liked him. We got him in, we'd done a workshop with him and we went for a business plan. Him being someone not from recruitment, you know, we was all saying, well, you know, we're, we, we're all 400, 500, 600K billers. You know, we're just going to go and do it again. And he was a bit like, well, you're not. And... <laughs> And he was like, it just doesn't work like that. Like, you run your own business now. Like, it's not going to happen. And I remember us coming out of that meeting and we all just kind of looked at each other and was like, are we not going to do it? Like, are we not, <laughs> like, are we like, are we not going to do 500K? Like, is that not going to happen? And and for about a week or so, we like changed our business plan and we like low, we changed our target. Why did you say that though? Why? Because like, you you can't just build. It's different. You're in a different environment. Yeah. Why, did you, think say, he was, why did you say that? I think he was just trying to explain to us like, you're bit like, when you work in a company where there's an infrastructure, you know, and all you're right. doing is coming into work, sitting at a desk, doing recruitment, you know, you can do them numbers. Coming into a business where you run, you run it yourself, you know, there's more pressure here or there, you've got more things to do, you know, you're not going to go and rectify them numbers, which I think was a fair statement from him, you know, of course, he didn't know that, he doesn't know recruitment. So we didn't like, we just took it as, we might not have believed him, but we, we took it uh, for about a week, we might have believed in. And then, and then after that, we didn't. And I suppose probably the biggest surprise for me was that we have just gone and been able to rectify the numbers. You know, we've, we have all been able to go and do the numbers that we were doing at Chapman Black. Um, yeah. You know, and more and more to be fair. What did you put that down to? Like, let's just like, why? Like, obviously you've got a track record. You, you can all like, you've got, a, there's a collective of you. You probably all kept each other going, holding each other accountable. But like, obviously, yeah, you would have March 2020, obviously COVID all of that. Like what, what do you think has enabled you guys to do that? Cause that, that's, that's still like something super to be proud of. And as you're saying, probably did more than what you're doing at Chapman Black. So like, why? 
Yeah, and obviously through COVID as well, which was a pretty exactly. difficult situation for any recruiter. Now, to be honest, I think we just um, we took a different approach to an extent. We we saw that COVID was around. We knew that business development was going to be different. You've got to approach during COVID. We could you couldn't just fly into any decision maker and you know with a, with a CV and just expect they were going to interview that CV, whether it matched their market or not. You know, which could have been the old way of doing recruitment. It was more about you know we have to try and find out what how do we offer a solution as a startup business that's flexible, that's agile in the recruitment, in the exec search space, what could we do different to other companies? And we started maybe offering different proposals. We were being offering much more contingent recruitment searches that we wouldn't have normally took on. We were taking them on if we saw that it was with a client that was actively recruiting during that period. We just worked a bit more smarter, I think, in that first year. And to be honest, we were just, openly, we were just very relentless. We, we were very, very relentless. And we all have a high expectation of each other we have we pull each other up constantly if we don't think that each other's at the right level you know we've in the whole two years we've been in extra search not one of us has ever taken a long lunch you know if someone turns up one minute past the hour you know that one of the other three business partners one of us is going to look at each other like you're not allowed to do that like we just hold (laughs) each other to we just hold each other to a really higher discipline and i think that's what's enabled us to to do them them numbers so far yeah yeah no fair enough and how have you gone about, obviously, as we said before, there's about, what did you say? There's like 16 of you now, right? So how has it been like hiring for your own business? Because obviously that's a whole different thing in itself. Like how, how has that played out? Yeah, so in year one, off, we were... We, were, we hired really well. We hired four people, which was just what we needed for our business, four delivery consultants. Strategy was bring people in with around one year's recruitment experience because we don't have you know, an infrastructure to train the absolute basics. Um, yeah. So let's bring someone with just a bit of knowledge. And we, we managed to find four people that have been, you know, have been fantastic for our business. They're still here today. Nice. You know, they've really created, they've created a great layer of our business. You know, they are openly 100% the reason why we was, we was able to to do even more numbers in, in year two. We've done that. We, 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 we straight, we thought that hiring was really easy in year one. We come into year two, really? like, yeah, we come into year two, like, we'll go and hire 10 people this year. We've just, we found four <laughs> people without really trying and then, and then it comes to year two, and we—it's just been—it's been so difficult now. I think it's been our hardest thing. Is it? What's been so hard about it? Is it because everyone's hiring? Is it because what? What's been? What have you found difficult about it? I suppose it is probably we have we definitely have more competition now. You know, people weren't hiring during COVID, um, whereas now people are. I think obviously just the. the People coming into recruitment now after COVID have a different perspective on what they see a recruitment company to look like as well. You know, people, people maybe are not. I don't think I've seen as much. I've not seen people super motivated by what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast, you know, being the the top performer. I don't know if that's 100% the driving motivation behind a lot of people stepping into recruitment now. And it is, it's changed. And I think we've, as a business and as business owners, we've had to kind of shift out what attracts people to our business slightly. And obviously what I I thought was quite good, obviously, considering where you guys are on your journey, you've obviously, you've also, you've now got an actual dedicated internal recruiter as well. Has Has that helped? Yeah, definitely. I think that was something that we we saw. So basically what happened was we hired them four people and then we we took our foot off the gas on hiring because we was like, we've got our four people. They're really good going into year two. That's our setup now. And we didn't we didn't proactively keep approaching the market um, in the first half of this year. And it just left us with a massive black hole. We just didn't have any candidates. Yeah, you got to, I think that's the thing. You've got to be consistent with it. You can't just be like, oh, we need to hire someone now. Let's start now. Yeah, that's it. And I think um, then we just, we said, we've got, we've got, we hired Amber as an ops assistant, um, but we were just seeing so much sales flair. She had so, she's a sales person, you know, and yeah. we just thought, why don't we just use this early on in our journey let's ingrain an internal recruit into our business they understand yeah, our culture and we've just worked so hard over the past four or five months in, in in allowing her to become you know an internal recruiter and it's now it's now paid off massively because we've made she's made three hires in the past three weeks now yeah it's class obviously good thing about that right is that obviously you've got someone dedicated to being consistent getting the nexus name out there rather than before i'm assuming maybe you might do a bit of I don't know, you might do a bit of it. Someone, some of the guys might do a bit of it in terms of like the internal hiring push. Yeah, well, you'd just rely on, you know, you'd speak to some Rectorex and you would hope that they would send you yeah. profiles and there's only so much you can rely on Rectorex, you know, they've got to go about doing their own recruitment themselves, right? I think having that internal recruiter that's just consistently pushing Nexus search, pushing messages out, always, you know, just trying to find new profiles for your business. I think for us, I think going into next year, it's going to pay, it's going to be so fundamental. I think Amber's role is going to really enable us to go and get, you know, 2025 to 2025 heads. 
Yeah, I love it. So talk to me about, as we finish then, talk to me about what, what's on the horizon for you guys then. What's uh, obviously you're getting into, this is going to be your second year, right? Pretty mm. much at the end of this year nearly. So what, what's, what, what's top of mind? What are you guys thinking about as we get into the end of this year and going to next year? Like what's on the horizon? So I think for us, it's just about, it is about that continual organic growth with hiring. Um, we want to make sure that we're bringing more people in. We plan for a, for a hiring academy at the beginning of January. We want to bring six, seven people into our business, which would be our first big talent injection. We, I'm really, I've moved roles now, so I've become more of the sales manager of the business, less around just being a you know, billion, billion. I don't have a billion target on my head anymore. My responsibility is to to run our company and to try to get the best out of the new people in the business. So I'm trying to build a, an operating model. What is the best practice for a delivery? I feel like we have a best practice for a delivery function. It, now it's about trying to build a best practice for a sales function. Um, we've we've got five sales consultants in the business. Next year is about making them, set them up to become Nexus Search's next top top performers. That, and that's the goal. Yeah, I love that. Well, Fraser, been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, being super honest. Love your energy, mate. Love your positivity. I think kudos to you guys. Like, yeah, obviously, yeah, ended up starting the business journey sooner than planned, but have really maximised the opportunity that you've, yeah, that you got given, right? So, um, yeah, good, good on you guys and really excited to see where you guys are over the next couple of years. But thanks for, for being super honest and sharing everything that you have in, in this episode, mate. It's been, it's been brilliant. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on here. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.